Man, I just, I really just, I feel the presence of God this morning. I don't know about you. When Caitlin was leading that last song, How He Loves Us, I just felt the Holy Spirit kind of, kind of well up in my heart. And I, I got kind of taken back to this moment just this past week. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a normal human being. And sometimes I get overwhelmed and sometimes I get anxious and sometimes I have struggles and sometimes I mentally say, Lord, you need to help me because I just don't know where I'm at right now and I don't know how to move forward and I don't know how to get through what I'm currently, go what's going on in my mind. And as that was going on a few days, you know, I had started to, to even share it with Andre a little bit. And I mean, it happens. We're human, right? These things happen. And, and one night I couldn't even sleep and I got up in the middle of the night. I went downstairs and I just said, Lord, you've got to help me. I didn't know what else to pray. And the next morning, we were going to do a few things, and I got in my vehicle, and my, my phone just Bluetoothed a song on there, and this song came up, and when that song began to play, it was like the Holy Spirit just flooded the vehicle and said, do you remember just how much I love you? And in that moment, everything just broke off and melted away in the presence of his love. And, and, it, and it took me back to all these moments. I'm telling you, if we can live from that place of knowing how much our Heavenly Father loves us, we would carry so much less than what we do. Our minds would be at ease. And I just felt the, the Lord saying this morning that, that he wants to bring you into that place where you live from a place of knowing how much your Heavenly Father truly loves you. And in that place, there's absolute rest. There's no no anxiety. And so can, can we just pray into that this morning? Is that okay before we begin? I know this message is not going to be geared necessarily that way, but let's just begin there. So Father, we just pray, Lord, as we open your word this morning, that this reality would be first and foremost in our hearts. God, that every person in this room would understand that you demonstrated your love for us in the fact that while we were still yet sinners, while we were still broken, making terrible decisions, living in shame, Lord God, and, and, and doing things that didn't even glorify or honor your name, Lord, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And there's no distance we could run, there's no sin we could commit, there's no failure too great that your love does not reach us in that moment and overwhelm us. And God, that's why we do what we do. It's not out of obligation, it's not because we're law keepers, Lord, but it's because we love you, God, because you first loved us. And so, Holy Spirit, make that real in every heart this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So, it's good to be in the house of God. I wanted to celebrate something with you this morning. I don't know if Beverly Nelson is here or not. I don't think that, she, maybe she's not, but... but I, most of y'all probably know she had been diagnosed with cancer and she went through treatment. She went through uh, radiation and different things like that. But the last prayer meeting we had, we had her up here and we said we're going to push all doubt out of the room and we're going to believe that when she goes back that cancer is going to be gone. And she went back and she's officially in remission. And, and so what I would encourage you to do, amen, I would encourage you to continue to just pray for her because... Cancer's tricky, and it tries to take root and rear its ugly head several times, but we believe that, uh, that God is powerful, and we want to keep her in prayer and continue to pray for her. Um, also, I just want to say, you know, there's a lot of people. We, we, we've went through this flood, and everybody's aware of it, and the thing that I've noticed, man, is people are helping with people who have been affected by the floods like on a mass scale. We've, we've done a little bit here, but what I'm finding is every person that we get to help, uh, they're already being helped by somebody. And you know what I think? I think it's amazing. 
I think it's awesome that when I go to help somebody, they're like, well, you know what, we, we're kinda, we've been taken care of pretty well, but if you want to help, you can do this. So one of the things, we've, we've, we've obviously gotten a lot of supplies to people whenever it first happened, but I tell you, a lot of the people that we're talking to, they're, just, they're, in, the, they're in the process of rebuilding, and one of the things, some people have given some money to us, and what we're trying to do right now, we've connected with a handful of, of families in Oneida, and so we're getting some appliances to them to refurnish their home and, and types of things like that. So I just wanted to say thank you guys for being in prayer for those people and continuing to support. And we're just grateful for, for the, all sorts of people that are willing to help in, in times of need for things like that. Also, next step, step one is going to be today at 1 p.m. So if you've not been through next steps, you'd like to be. Step one, you get to find out about our church, our, our structure, the organization, where we're headed, and, and how to get connected. So at 1 p.m., if you'd like to, you can sign up at the welcome desk. And another thing I wanted to celebrate with you uh, is, is just we're about to launch small groups again. And small groups are interesting, right? Like people, some people, it's a love-hate thing for people with small groups. But we actually had, and this is just sign-ups, because, you know, a lot of y'all don't sign up, and I put you in a group anyway, you know that? <laughs> I mean, that's just the way. But we actually had 90 human souls sign up for small groups. I think that's something to celebrate. Like, at least, at least 90 people said, hey, yeah, well... We'll give this a shot, as awkward as it may be. Amen. That's kind of what I feel like. You know, if I wasn't a pastor, I, it'd be hard to get me to cooperate with the church. But turns out I am, so praise God for that. <laughs> and, you know, here's the thing. I know it's a tough season. Everybody I talk to, it's like everybody's in a tough season. Because right now, too, our families, we average about seven babies apiece. <laughs> and it's like, we ain't got time for nothing, you know we're just trying to take care of babies, and we got sports practices, and, and I get it, man. Like people are, 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 you got a lot on your plate, and I just want to say, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for the times that you will sacrifice, whether it's in kids' church or if you come to a Wednesday night and help. Whatever you do is so appreciated because I realize that we are in a season of life where we've got a lot of things on our plate. We've got new jobs. We've got, we live in different areas. We got long commutes. We've got kids that got sports and all of those things are great things but but we just want to continue to do our best to maintain the kingdom of God in the community and so whatever even, even if we miss and, and can't engage completely in everything there's always ways that we can continue to commit to community and grow the kingdom of God and so we want to we want to pray through that and do that I know my ministry you know it, it really started with a small group we're kind of a big believer in small groups my ministry started with a small group I used to teach a class on Friday nights I, I know some people would come to it. I remember one time back in the day, Paul Chastain was the only guy showed up on a Friday night, him about 12 years old. And I'm sitting there just preaching to him just as hard as I can go. And that's why he's such a good boy today. I mean, look at him. Uh, but, 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 you know, that, that grew and developed and God sent people into my life. Matter of fact, in that small group is where Andrea, Andrea got invited by somebody into my small group. And, you know, she saw me leading this, this discipleship class. Let me tell you something, you young men, single men, chicks dig a small group leader. I mean, that's like a, so think about leading one. They really do. I pretty much sealed the deal as soon as I stood up and started leading it. Um, so, so small groups are good. And, uh, and yeah, so um, you want to you wanna consider getting into one, you can sign up at our website if you've not signed up. If not, you can let somebody, if you don't get on the Internet, you're probably blessed for it, uh, tell us at the welcome desk. Um, you know, I asked Andre the other day, I said, I said, what do you think about small groups? Said, I'm going to talk a little bit about community and small groups. And she said, you know, 
some of the most awkward moments in my life happened in small group. <laughs> Anybody amen me on that? Amen. Yeah. But then she said, but you know, also some of the greatest relationships I have came out of small group. And small groups are challenging. Like, community is challenging. And I get that it's difficult. I get we've got a million things going on. Me preaching what I'm going to preach today, which is a commitment to community, obviously there's going to be some corrective nature in it because we always have to be pulled back to what are the main things in our life. Now, this doesn't mean that sometimes I know, like legitimately there's some people that's just like, you know, I, I just cannot physically get in a small group this time. I get it. And, and, you know, to people like that, I'd say, well, at least every now and then invite somebody over to your house for a steak, maybe even invite a lost person. Let's try to win them to Jesus. Like do something to make sure you're tied into community and you're growing in the kingdom of God. Small groups is just a program and a mechanism by which we can continue to make disciples. We can evangelize. We can grow together and we can have fellowship. That's why they're in place. And so we want to have a commitment to community. I know it's difficult, but let me tell you something, folks. We are called by God to demonstrate self-sacrificial love for one another and do whatever we can, make radical sacrifices to make sure that the community of God is growing and we are winning souls and making disciples. So as hard as it gets, as difficult as it has, as much as stuff as we have on our plate, you've got to find some time somewhere in your life to say, my main calling is still to win souls and make disciples for Jesus Christ. I need to be connected to the community of God, and I need to sacrifice. And I make sacrifices for a million different things, but it's somewhere deep down I've got to know this is the community of God, and I need to make a special commitment to it. Right. Amen. So I want to dive into this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47... This is the right when the church began on the day of Pentecost. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I like what the message translation said there. It says that everyone in general saw it and they liked what they saw. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you see a picture of, of the early church, what they were devoted to, what you saw in their midst, this fellowship, this devotion to one another, breaking of bread in the homes, and you see this community that is emerging that is totally countercultural. And there's one guy, a guy that's a sociologist named Rodney Stark. He said this. He said, the growth of the early church is arguably the most remarkable sociological movement in history. And here's why he said that. He said this is the more, arguably the craziest sociological movement in history. And here's why. If you put that graph up for me, here's what it says. You can't see that very clearly because it's cheap and I got it off Google. Amen. But the estimates of population in the year 40, about seven years roughly after Jesus died, you had about a thousand Christians in the world. A thousand Christians in the world. And by the year 350, you had about 34 million Christians. There was less than 1% of the population in A.D. 40 that were Christians. And then by the year 350, over half of the world's population were followers of Jesus. 
I want you to let that settle in for a minute because it's crazy. They didn't have any of the stuff that we think is necessary for church to happen today. Matter of fact, like this morning, I thought we was going to have to call church off because we couldn't get the screen to work. You know what I'm talking about? Like if the lights ain't working, I mean, how can you have church? And we think about the things that we think are necessary for church. They didn't have social media. They couldn't let it be known when they were out doing good works. They couldn't put flyers out on social media to connect with everybody. But they overturned essentially the Roman Empire. The same empire that crucified Christians set them on fire in their gardens once bowed the knee to Jesus and said, we're going to adopt this formally as our, as our religion, Christianity, and we want to be Christ followers. That's mind-blowing to me because here's the thing. It started with Jesus who was an obscure teacher from Galilee, from Nazareth, and he comes in and he teaches. He gets 12 guys to follow him. He's not even in a rush. He's not even in a rush. He's got 12 guys that follow him. And after he dies, he's got a few hundred. And my question is, how in the world does a few hundred people end up overturning the entire Roman Empire and gaining half of the population in, in 300 years? How is that even possible? The way that they did it is precisely biblically through loving community. And the people in the world around them saw that they lived a different way and they loved one another. Jesus said, the whole world will know you are my disciples because you demonstrate love for one another. You have a community that is countercultural. You live together around the practices of the gospel. And when people see it, it attracts them in and they say, that is exactly what I've been looking for my entire life. In Acts chapter 2, you all know, know that, that story. Like They're praying in an upper room for 10 days and all of a sudden the fire of God falls. There's cloven tongues like as a fire on their head and there is a mighty rushing wind that fills the house. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They come out speaking in known languages that they did not know. It gathers a crowd around because they heard a sound and everybody's convicted and 3,000 people get saved. And I'm thinking if mighty rushing wind and fire hit the house. This morning and we saw 3,000 people in Manchester saved, what would we do? We'd be like, boys, we're calling revival services. We'll be back tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Put it on social media. But you know what they did? They said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get together. We're going to build loving community. We're going to love one another. We're going to meet daily. We're going to study scripture together. We're going to pray together. We're going to break bread in homes together. We're going to be so generous that anybody that has need, I'll be willing to sell something in order for them to have what they need. And they became such a tight-knit community. They were not in a hurry to win the world. They were evangelizing, but they were learning to have loving relationships in a community. And people saw it and were attracted to it. The power of Pentecost was channeled actually into people just getting together and loving one another in the name of Jesus that's crazy to think about and I think what scares me sometimes especially in church in America today is we are so busy that we do not have the time to actually know what it means to build a loving community built on solid relationships that are grounded in Jesus Christ we're so connected to our devices and everything else that we're not connected to humans anymore and so we need to get back to what does it mean to build this kind of loving community because it's also very difficult. I don't know if you realize this, but committed, loving Christian community is hard. And there is no ideal church. I talk to people all the time, and most of the time people who are looking for a church, they spend their time criticizing and accusing the church and pointing out all the things that they don't like about that church. Well, that's not my style. That's not my prayer. That's a big part of our problem in today's world. 
There's no ideal church. And here's the question that I have for you is what if an imperfect church community is God's way of loving your idolatry out of you? Man, that's good right there. I'll just... What if, because here's the thing, people run from church to church, from place to place. We shop for churches like we shop for outfits. We're looking for the best new one to wear and put on, but if it doesn't fit good anymore, we just put it off. Amen. And that's not how the church is designed to exist. My point is, what if an imperfect church community is God's way of loving your idolatry out of you? Because when you come into it, you realize, man, this isn't what I thought it was supposed to be. And God's actually trying to teach you how to love He's actually trying to teach you how to overlook offenses. He's actually trying to teach you how to forgive. He's actually trying to teach you how to deny yourself so that you can put others first. Man, what if, it's, what if actually the things that aggravate me the most about my church family are the things God wants to use to change me? Oh man, the Lord's had to say that to me as a pastor a few times. Lord, do you realize, Clay, that I'm actually using you, this to make you more like me? I say, Lord, this hurts. And we say, Amen. But let me give you a few stages to joining a Christian community, or really any community for that matter. This is like when you, you know, the, the grass is always greener on the other side, right? How many of you have seen, oh, if I just had that job. Oh, Lord, if we just went to that school. Oh, if my kids just had that teacher. Oh, if we could just do that. And you think it's going to be the best thing in the world. But here's the problem. Every new thing you do, it, there's stages to it, especially in Christian community. Number one is excitement. Because when we launch small groups, new people that have come into the church are like, oh my gosh, so pumped. You know what I'm saying? Like I think somebody might have even put that whenever they wrote on comments, so pumped. I'm thinking, wait for just a minute. You ain't in it yet. Because you get excited and you think, this is going to be awesome. We're going to meet new people. God's going to show up and, and everything's going to move and it's going to be powerful and we're going to be transformed. And then you get in it and you realize some people are weird, some people are rude, some people interrupt you, and you don't get to highlight, like you don't get to shine as bright as you thought you'd get to shine in this group. You get aggravated, you get disillusioned. If you're a leader, people don't show up. Sometimes it's just you and Paul Chastain. And, then, and you're sitting in there and you get disillusioned and you say, why am I even doing this? But right there's the point where you need to make an adjustment. Most people will stop when it comes to church and say, you know what, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Maybe I need to go look for another church. Maybe we just need to quit church altogether. Maybe we don't even need to be in a small group. Maybe me and Jesus can have our own thing because people are hard. And what I'm saying is you need to push through that and you need to move to a stage of adjustment and you need to say, God, let me see this community the way that you see this community. And God, let me realize that you didn't design church for me. Church is not created for me. It's not about my preferences or my wants or my desires. Church is created so that you can learn how to lay down your preferences, your wants, your desires. Deny yourself like Jesus denied himself and say, I'm going to be poured out in love for the sake of others like Jesus was poured out for me. And you make that adjustment. And when you make that adjustment and realize that it's not about you, it's about you laying down your life like Jesus, then you enter into a place of growth. Because then, no matter how weak or bad your church or your small group is, guess what? You're not there for how awesome it is. You're there to make it a little bit awesomer. You're there to make it a little bit better because you're letting Jesus flow through you. But the problem is, is some of you are idolizing your church and even your community and you need to be worshiping Jesus because when you're overflowing with contentment in Jesus, you don't need everybody else to be doing everything right for you to be satisfied. 
I was satisfied this morning before I came into the church. If just three of you had shown up, I'd have been a little bit aggravated. i got to be honest. But then I would have made an adjustment and said, You know what, Lord, I'm not here for them. I'm here for you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to preach the word if it's to three people. And for small group leaders, let me say this. You need to sometimes go through that difficulty. I have led and I have preached to some of the most difficult situations you could ever imagine. And every time I wanted to quit, the Lord would say to me, If I cannot trust you with little, how can I trust you with much? And so you've got to go through that process in order to reach that stage of growth. But let me give you a couple of challenges to New Testament community. And number one, one of the challenges that we're facing today is extreme loneliness. Loneliness. We live in a society that is now more lonely than ever. And most of the studies that you read actually will say that people are more lonely because they're more connected to people than they've ever been through devices while still actually not being connected to people. It's crazy. It's a, it's a phenomenon that's just cropping up in our world and in our society. And so we are actually more connected to people ever, but we're lonelier than we've ever been because it's not real human connection and we've lost the art of developing deep, meaningful relationships. And if you talk to teachers that have been teaching for a long time, what they're noticing is that even among our children, children do not have, know how to have a conversation with human beings. They don't know how to make eye contact. They're, they're losing the art of developing deep, meaningful relationships where they can share their heart with people. There was a Cigna Loneliness Index that said this. It said that 50% of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. One in four Americans rarely or never feel that people understand them. Amen. I feel that sometimes. One in five report they never have close people that they feel like they can talk with about things. Now, I thank God because of the church, since I've been saved, I've always had people in my life that I feel like I can open up and be my real honest self. That I can, even as a pastor, I thank God that as a pastor, i got people in my life I can say, I need to repent. And I can show the ugly stuff too. You know what I mean? And only one half of Americans have meaningful personal relationships with others on a daily basis. Now, as I read through some of this stuff in this article, it says that loneliness is associated with heart problems, premature death, and lonely individuals are likely to, less likely to achieve quality sleep. They experience reduction in their reason and creativity. Loneliness decre decreases workplace productivity and they report less job satisfaction and are more likely to face unemployment. It's correlated with mental health concerns, anxiety, depression, and suicide. And loneliness is connected with poor coping mechanisms such as compulsive technology use, smoking, and self-harm. And I read this one and I loved it. It was kind of the best one. It said that loneliness and social isolation can be as damaging to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Amen. How's loneliness as damaging as smoking a, 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 like a full pack of Marlboros? You know what I'm saying? So because you were designed for community. And when you don't have loving relationships where you can know and be fully known, not trying, look, don't come into church trying to hide the real you. You need people who can see the real you and love you for who you are. See, what makes love love is when you know God sees the nastiest stuff in you and there you sense his love. If I have to wait to bring the best part of myself to him before I feel his love, then I ain't ever going to feel it. 
Real love is when God speaks over my life and says, I see all the ugliness. I see every failure you've ever made, and I love you more than you could ever imagine. And when you got a community like that, man, when you got people in your life like that, you have some security. Anxiety lifts. Depression breaks. Things change because you have this true love that God was wanting to give us all along. There's another sociologist. He said this. He's got a real weird name, so I'm not going to say it. But he wrote a book called Liquid Love, and he said, In our consumer culture, we favor products ready for instant use and instantaneous satisfaction. We want no effort with money-back guarantees. You do all the work for me so that it's hassle-free. Now, what's funny about this is I've actually been to a couple of different churches that when I came into the door, they offered me a hassle-free guarantee. And I... Look, I, I try not to hate on churches because I know mine's not that great either, and I'm not, I'm not the best leader in the world. But when they offer me a hassle-free free guarantee, I almost want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. Because what you're basically saying is we've made church and relationships and godly Christian community a commodity just like a cup of coffee anymore. Or a product that you can buy on Amazon, and if you don't like it, you can return it. And church is not that way. You don't get to return the church of Jesus Christ. Guess what? I'm not going to offer you a hassle-free guarantee because there's some things in life that you need to be hassled over. Love takes a commitment. Love is hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. If you get in a church community, you'll likely be hurt. You'll likely be wounded. People will aggravate you. But that's why it is the church because it's in those moments that we learn how to push through and truly love like Jesus did. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. The things that God is calling you to do are not simple. They're not easy. And sometimes you will be hassled. There is no hassle-free guarantee in the kingdom of God. It's going to be challenging, but that's the fight. That's the beauty of it that is set before us. We don't offer a hassle-free guarantee. And see, the challenge is that even though things may be convenient in some church, well, you know, I love that church. I can just go and show up, and they don't demand anything from me. We don't have to give. We don't have to serve. We just show up on Sunday and not do anything. We don't have to be involved in anything, and it's a beautiful thing. Well, yeah, it is a beautiful thing in the sense that you get to do what you want, but even though things might be convenient, what you need to understand is that they're very often shallow, and they're very often only surface level. And you're not actually getting to the heart of what's going on and what God wants to do in your life. And this is a challenge that you have with a growing church. Like, how do you keep a growing number of people somehow connected in, in this body? And not just, because that's what church is becoming. Mega churches all over the world, not that they're a bad thing. I mean, the more people that we can reach for Jesus, hallelujah. But Jesus never said, let's see how many thousands and millions of people we can get to say a prayer. He said, let's make disciples of all nations. People that gather in this community, that love one another and gather around the practices of Jesus. They don't just show up to, on a Sunday and for an hour and a half and then live the rest of their life doing what they want to. They're deeply connected in this community. But see, we live in a world that's quick and transient. we got Velcro relationships. You know what I'm talking about? I can connect to this person, and if I need to, psh, I can tear off and I can go connect to somebody else. No big deal. And so nothing ever gets deep. Rather than having roots, we have Velcro. Amen. Rather than having roots, we have Velcro. And what I'm saying is there's something to be said about deep roots. It says, I'm going to be here after the storm comes. 
I'm going to be here after things get hard and everybody else leaves and everybody else fails and everybody else quits. I'm still going to be here deeply rooted in this because I've made a commitment out of love to the people that God has given me. Lewis Mead said this, he said, Where people no longer have the inner daring to make serious promises or have the grit to keep them, human community becomes a combat zone of competing self-maximizers. In other words, he's saying when people aren't willing to say, look, it's like marriage, for example. Like when people say, hey, I'm going to commit the rest of my life to you, but it gets difficult three years in, you know, ah, well, never mind. That's harder than I thought it was going to be. Now he says, you got to have the daring to make serious promises to people. I remember when I first came to this church, Jim, Jim Bowling came in and sat down with me, and he said, now I need to know, are you going to stay here or are you going to leave? And part of me was like, on. Like, I might want to leave, Jim. But what, what was he at? He wanted, he wanted a commitment. He wanted to know that I wasn't just going to up and bail on him. He wanted to feel a sense of security. He wants to know that there's, that there's something, that you're going to be here through thick and thin. And that's what we want from people, isn't it? We want to know that this person is faithful, they're committed, and even when things get hard and things aren't at their best, this person's going to stick around and be there through it all. And see, what happens when you don't have that is everybody starts looking out for their own interests, and I'm not worried about how I can better you. I'm just trying to figure out the best way to maximize me. And then everything, everybody starts fighting arguing, quarreling, because my interests are at odds with your interests. And our culture has actually trained us in a way where we no longer have the skills or the character to be able to make the kinds of commitments it takes to produce a true Christian community. And we need to build these character traits. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 says that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, and God sets the lonely in families. And I think that when God sets the lonely in families, one of the things that he does is he sets them in a church. Because a church is not just a place that you show up, but it's supposed to be the family of God. Number two, one of the difficulties in addition to loneliness is selfishness. One of the things that we face. And, and, and Paul told Timothy like this. He said it this way. He said, mark this, Timothy. He says, there's going to be terrible times in the last days. And people will be lovers of themselves. That's the main one I want to look at. But he goes on to talk about love, and I just want to read through it because he says they'll also be lovers of money. They'll be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And so one of the main things that he's saying is in the last days, guess what? It's going to be difficult, and you're going to find that true Christian community is even harder to create than you think because people are lovers of pleasures rather than God and they spend their time trying to figure out how can I get more pleasure how can I get more gain for myself how can me and my family be more and more entertained and they spend their time loving right not just pleasures but they love money and so they seek to get more and more money at all costs just remember this folks money can be a beneficial thing it can be a helpful thing but you will not take it with you when you die which is why Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth because rust and moth will corrupt it. Your house will burn one day. But the thing that you're going to take with you is the love that you poured out in people's hearts and the kingdom advancement that you made through carrying that life of love and commitment to people in the name of Jesus. 
He said, that's going to last forever. That's going to stack you up a mansion in the heavenly courts. And so we have to pay attention to this because then he says that people will be lovers of themselves. And I read something else this week where it talked about how now we are actually in an epidemic in our society of narcissism. So I read something, and it basically said that between 1948 and 1954, that's about when my, when my dad was, was born over here. It was like 70 years ago, right? 70 years ago, psychologists asked 10,000 adolescents whether they consider themselves to be a very important person in the structure of society when it comes to like nuclear war and major trade deals and just throughout the world, and 12% said yes. 12% of the population said, yep, we're pretty important. The other 88% said, no, we don't really have any impact at all. They had an honest estimation of their impact on the world. You ask people today, they ask the same question today, and in the late 80s, 80% said, yes, we have a major and an extraordinary impact on the entire world. And today, guess what? Almost 100% say, yes, we have an extraordinary impact. Can I tell you this? That it's okay to be simple. It's okay to be normal. And our world and even the preachers that we like the most are the ones that hype you up and say, you're going to change the world. You're going to do this. And we love that hype because for 10 minutes we get an adrenaline rush and we feel good. But what I'm telling you is some of the greatest things you're ever going to learn to do. Some of you will not be world changers. Some of you are going to be completely normal. But the greatest thing you're going to do is live your life for God, love the people around you, and learn to be content and thankful with what God has given you. And you impact the people around you and you're completely content with that for many of us Jesus is just saying I just need you to live a quiet life and live a holy life and live a pure life and love your wife and love your children and go to work and love those people and reach a handful of people for Jesus and if every Christian throughout the world would do this we would change the entire world together it's not on you to be a world changer because you're not that important amen what a good prophetic word this morning you're not that important Hallelujah. Quote that, Jeremy. Put that on Facebook next week. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh. My point is, sometimes we can get so hyped up in church, man, we're going to... And what happens, there was another thing that I read. I like to read, y'all, but there was another thing that I read that talked about how the way that, you, that youth are preached to. They come into a service, man, the music is hype, and then a dude gets up that looks good, and he talks about how they're going to go out and reach the world for Jesus, and then they turn 25, and then they turn 30, and they're not reaching the world for Jesus. And they get disillusioned because their life is not as grand as they thought it was going to be. They thought they'd be on a stage singing to millions, preaching to millions. And not that that's a bad dream. I'm just telling you that odds are that's not what God's called you to. There's a handful of people in this world that reach that, and honestly, most of them would probably tell you that in that position, they are not fulfilled. It's not what gives them fulfillment. We need to learn to find contentment and community and grow deep roots right here where we are and say, you know what, I'm going to love the people around me. I'm not going to have Velcro relationships. I'm going to realize that the greatest thing that I'm going to have in my life is my relationship with God. And even if I only lead a handful to Jesus in this life, that will be a major thing. Amen. It's a good word, isn't it? If we can receive it. But see, what happens is narcissism creeps into our generation. And it is an inordinate fascination with oneself, excessive self-love, and a lack of empathy or ability to share in the feelings of others. And a deep need for admiration. We got a lot of college students in here. College students, I'm going to make you feel good. I'll give you this stat. Right now, one quarter of college students 
out of 37,000 agreed with a majority of items on a standard measure of narcissistic traits and tests. That means that one quarter of college-age kids now today living actually are so self-focused that they have an inability to actually look out towards somebody else and say, how can I help you? Completely unable to do it. They've become so self-focused, so inwardly turned, so self-centered that they are now, they think they're the center of the universe. Everything revolves around them. And so when you ask them to serve, they're like, well, what's that about? I mean, what's in it for me? Well, you get to serve. You get to serve Jesus. You get to deny yourself for the Lord Jesus Christ to advance his kingdom. But they don't understand that aspect. So how do we live and build a loving community in a society in a loneliness epidemic that is filled with narcissists? Amen. Philippians 2 verse 3 through 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So what if I joined church or I joined a small group not thinking, man, what can I get out of this? But I joined a church or I joined a small group thinking, what can I add to this? What can I pour in? How can God use me to build these people up? How can God use me to, to, to go into a small group and just change the atmosphere? And where everybody else is depressed and dejected, I can come in with an energy from God because I've been praying this week and I've heard from the Lord and I've got a word for you. I've got something to speak into your heart. And I want you to understand this, is that true fulfillment is only found in self-sacrificial love for others. And many of you, you're wondering why you're so empty and you're feeling down and depressed. And what I'm saying is, is that it could be because you've thought that it's about you. And if you will turn outwardly and learn how to self-sacrificially love and serve others, you're going to find the joy of the Lord and the love of God beginning to replace that emptiness and that void that is in your heart. Amen. So let me give you two quick core principles. I got two that we're struggling with. Now let me give you two quick core principles that make this Christian community that I'm talking about possible. And number one, we read in Acts chapter 2, is devotion to one another. Devotion to one another. It says in verse 42 of Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. Literally, it means to commit by solemn act to continue to do something with intense effort. I was in a group chat with some guys, and we, we actually complained a little bit, maybe a couple of us, confession, Jeremy rebuked us. Basically said, quit complaining. Lord's good. We need to say positive. Amen. He's like, you know what? I repent. Thank you, Jeremy. That's why I hired you, bro. I need that kind of attitude in my life. But the point is, is guess what? Over time, how many of you get a little bit discouraged? How many of you get beat down and you say, what's the point, man? I've been continuing. I've been pouring out. Nobody else pours out. Ha! You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of thing can slip in. But when you're devoted... You don't look to that. When you're leading worship, you don't care about whether or not the crowd is responding. When you're preaching a word, I don't care whether or not you, I want you to come to the altar, I want you to respond, I want you to get saved, I want these things to happen, but at the end of the day, I have an audience of one. I'm doing this because I'm devoted to God. But when it comes to you all, there's a lot of things that, guess what, I have to overlook. Why? Because I am devoted. 
I've committed to an intense effort that I'm not going to let up even if it gets difficult. And they were devoted to one another. But here is the problem with our devotion is that we live in a preference-based society. But this kind of New Testament community exists in a commitment-based society. Y'all know what I'm talking about, the difference? What's the difference between being preference-based and commitment-based? See, the issue is that we pretty much organize our schedules and everything around our preferences and we commit to a lot of the wrong things. And here's the thing, you, you become what you're committed to. And you say, well, this isn't my preference. This doesn't make me feel good. I'd rather do it some other way. And, 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 and if it's not currently your preference, you just decide to do something else. But no, Jesus says, no, I'm calling you not based on what you prefer. I'm calling you to make a commitment to what I say. To do what I say. And so he's asking for a commitment. Now, there's something that's really interesting because we will, we will literally in, organize our entire schedules a lot of times around like, I don't know, what a ball coach says we ought to do. And let me tell you, here's the thing. Sports are great. Thank God kids play in sports. We need those things, don't we? My point being is I'm not saying quit sports, not saying those. I'm asking you to pay attention to what forces you into a place where you will reorganize and sacrifice everything. And my point is, is that at the end of the day, all of those things are good. They need space in our schedule. But our children and we ourselves need to know that what God is asking us to do must come first. So in one form, fashion, or another, even if I don't have time to enter into a small group, I must find time to stay committed within community. I need to invite somebody into my house. I need to start a group text message with three people that says, hey, let's read these scriptures together this week and let's get on the phone and at least talk about it because we're busy as all get out. My point is you've got to make a commitment and not just go based on preference and let the world system dictate your schedule. So I hope, I hope you can receive that with love because in no way am I trying to harp on anybody. Look, all of our kids, we got sports, we got stuff. I get that. That's a good thing. Don't ever, don't ever think that I'm berating people for that. All I'm saying is you have to be, we live in a world that is hasty and wild and all over the place. And every now and then we need to do a self-examination to say, am I committed to the things of God? Simply that. Am I committed? Because here's the other thing. Even if I choose to say and I pray and I say, Lord, are we going to commit to this with my child? Even if we choose to do that, guess what? If God says yes, then he's calling you in that place to create Christian community there at your kid's practice. And rather than going with a bad attitude, you can go with, you know what? Maybe I can talk to somebody about Jesus here and get them to come with me to church on Sunday morning. And it may, maybe they'll get in a small group even though I don't have time for one. Amen. I'm really trying to be nice. I, I love y'all. But the gospel of America, there was a rewrite of Acts 2, 42-47. So a guy said, I'm going to rewrite this based on what I see in the church today. He said, they studied the apostles' teaching when they had time. They went to fellowship when they could fit it in. They prayed when they needed something and had coffee together every now and then. They were content without and had low expectation for signs and wonders in their midst. Some of the believers got together and talked about generosity, but they kept all their possessions for themselves. Two out of five Sundays, they came to corporate gatherings. They didn't invite people into their homes and rarely revealed their hearts. They were largely irrelevant to all other people, and occasionally someone was randomly saved. 
I remember I read that and I thought, my Lord, if that's not a truer revelation of really what the church is today, and you read the book of Acts, and it's really just, it, it shows you the distinction, and it can be depressing, and it can be so convicting. I get a lot of people to tell me, you know what, Clay, you just preach and it hurts too bad. And I'm thinking, you know what, I, I, I don't want it to hurt that bad, but every now and then we do need a reality check. And it's not to make us feel bad because God loves us, but it does make us understand, man, that God is calling us to something greater than we're experiencing. And could it be that we've been trained by our culture instead of the Word of God? And what we're experiencing is low on the totem pole to what God actually wants us to experience. Because he's saying these, this group of people got together and they met around the Word of God and they prayed together and they sought the Lord and they worshipped together and they broke bread together and they had communion together and the power of God showed up and they were all in awe and wonder. And when the, when the outsiders looked in, they said, man, that is what we want in our lives. And it changed an entire empire. And so why don't we see that kind of fruit? And the answer is because we follow preferences instead of commitments. Secondly, here's my last point. It's practice-based rather than opinion-based. You know, one of the things I think about whenever I get into small groups, and, I, and I'm guilty of it myself, but sometimes I feel like most of the conversation whenever I'm in a small group or a community of believers is we sit down... And rather than gathering around practices, we gather around opinions. Like we sit around a table and we start talking about what we like about church, what we don't like about church, how this church does it wrong, how, how we do it right. And, and we, all we talk about is our opinions about church and the practices that we do and the programs that we have and the style of worship that we have. And all we're doing is giving our opinions as if it's an Amazon review. And my thing is, it's not bad to have an opinion. Everybody's got opinions, but you cannot build a church on opinions. You build a church on spiritual practices. It didn't say they got together and said which denomination they preferred or what kind of music songs that they liked or, or which preacher they liked best. They didn't get around and share their opinions. They got together and they devoted themselves to teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to all of these things that are centered around practice. And here's a list of things that it says specifically that they were devoted to. They were devoted to teaching. They were devoted to prayer to fellowship, the intermingling of souls, the sharpening of iron, bearing one another's burdens. They were devoted to having communion together because they wanted to be reminded of the body of Jesus that was broken for them. They wanted to be reminded of the blood that was shed for them. They were devoted to praise, worship, and presence, spiritual gifts moving in their midst. They were devoted to being generous and giving. They were devoted to all church gatherings, and they were devoted to evangelism. They said, we don't want to just have small group because our buddies are in it we want to gather and we want to bring people in that are lost because we want to see them saved somebody amen me right and you know while, while I'm on the subject of small groups like sometimes here's, here's a challenge that we have that I've tried to mess with some and it's hard because everybody wants to get in a small group with their age group with with the people that are in their life and well here's the old folks and here's the young folks and old folks don't want to intermingle with the young and young let me tell you something it's family y'all you need old people in your group and old people, you need young people in your group. And stop giving excuses on why you won't hang out. Oh, they're too young. This is the family of God. You ever went to your house and say, Hey, kid, you're too young to live here. That's your child. <laughs> it's a family. It's not some kind of program. And so what I'm saying is you've got to learn to intermingle with different people, different groups of life. The beautiful thing about that, when I first got into a church... 
One of the things that I loved most was these people, old, young, different ages, people that I would have never talked to on a regular basis, they come up and they kiss me. And they love me. And they have an interest in me. And I thought, man, this feels like family. And that's what we want to see. That's what we want to see. And it's so important that we're devoted. Why? Because a devoted church creates an environment for God to break in. Oftentimes we don't see God breaking in among us because throughout our days we're not devoted. We're just simply passing through life, taking care of business, coming to church an hour a week, and just hoping that somehow we can get through what's going on. And what I'm saying is you've got to learn how to devote yourself to these practices in your life so that, so that God can begin to break in in our midst. And so, you know, most of us, I get that it's difficult for most of us because almost everybody you talk to have had some sort of tragic experience in a community or a church community. And people that have been in church for a long time especially, you get, uh, you get new folks in church and they love it usually because they've not been in church and they just think it's going to be grand. But you get people that have been in church for 20, 30 years, been to like four or five different churches and, you know, a deacon stabbed them in the chest or something. You know what I mean? Like something crazy happened. Uh, but people go through extremely difficult challenges. And the thing is, is that it's in the midst of that we've got to push through our excitement and our disillusionment and say, I need to make adjustments because, God, I want to be like you and I want to serve the people around me in love. Because if you're willing to push through all the pain, you're willing to forgive when you need to forgive, you're willing to work through the disillusionment, and you're willing to commit to the body of Christ, you're working your way toward true New Testament agape love. Self-sacrificial, Jesus type of love. The reason we exist, guys, is to know God, to experience His love, and to be vessels and channels of that love. And that's what He's calling us to. A guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this. He said, every human idealized image that is brought into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be broken up so that genuine community can survive. What he's saying is, is you come in here with an idea of what you think good church would be like, and he says that needs to die because you need to embrace the church that you've been given. You need to embrace the people in the community that you've been given. Do I wish that every single one of us were missionaries and we were reaching the entire world and seeing thousands of people getting saved at a high rate? than any? any? Yeah, yeah, I wish that, but that has to die because I have to embrace the community that God has given me. And I have to love the community that God has given me right where we're at, right where we're at. You can dream up all these visions and say, well, I wish there was more people like this. I wish there was older people. I wish they'd sing more hymns. Well, guess what? We don't, praise God. <laughs> you can come up with a million idealized ideas of what you think perfect church would be. And God's saying, you need to let that die. You need to let what God, the community God has given you and embrace it. And think, how can I build this community up instead of criticizing it? Instead of accusing it? And we've got to learn to become vulnerable. You know, the word vulnerable, it comes from a Latin word. Valere, which means to wound. And what that means is, is that when you love somebody, guess what? You put your heart out there to be wounded. You realize that? And it hurts and it's scary. And sometimes I get scared as a pastor because I realize that in the future, like, people are going to quit on me. People are going to get mad at me. 
People are going to leave me. People are going to fail me. And, and maybe I'll do the same to somebody else. But you know what? Love says, I'm willing to go through it, even if I know that's going to happen. And what we do when we choose to do that, guess what? We're becoming like Christ because that's exactly what He did. He came and He washed your feet and He washed my feet and we hung Him on a tree. And He said, this is the pain and this is the price of my love and I'm willing to be opened up so that you can know my love. And what I'm saying is, is that you need to be willing to be opened up to express this true love of God to others. And you've got to make a sacrificial commitment to the community of God to say, I'm going to be there through th thick and thin. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to come alongside of you. Now, you can't be that to everybody, but God will put people in place. He'll order things. If you're willing to say, God, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to lead a group? Do you want me to get in a group? What do you want me to do, God? Do you, I can't get in a group this time, but God, who can I call during the week? Who can I encourage during the week? And I, I don't want you to leave here feeling pressured. What I want you to leave here is feeling and sensing the love of God and what He's calling you to specifically. Because there's no rules. There's no obligations. Nobody in here has to be in a small group. That's not my point. What we want are hearts that are after God's kingdom and saying, Lord, I'm yielding to what you want to do in our midst. We want to be like you, Jesus. Amen? I want you to just bow your heads just for a minute. Let's pray together. I want you to sense that deep love because just like we said in the beginning we love because he first loved us and before I go any further I, I want to give anybody in here an opportunity that's not experienced salvation that doesn't know Jesus that wants to be born again that, that says you know what I, I want to I want to be saved I want to take a next step with God I want to be baptized I want to become a member of the community of Jesus Christ I want to turn from my old life I want to receive a new one. If that's you as an act of faith between me and you and the Lord this morning, would you just raise your hand up to let me know? Just raise your hand up to let me know. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Praise the Lord. I'm going to assume that everybody's good as it pertains to your heart being right with the Lord. So for, for the rest of us, I just want us to pray, God, what are you... What are you asking us to do, God? You want to build a loving community. God, you love each of us so much, and we need to receive that love this morning. And so I pray that we would be able to comprehend, God, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. We need to know that this morning, Jesus. And I pray, God, that that love would flow through our hearts so that we could be poured out in a commitment to the community of believers around us. Show us, Lord, who we can minister to, who we can help, who we can encourage. And God, help us take that step of com commitment. God, whatever it may be, it may be in getting in a small group. It may be in, in, in getting involved in ministry. It, it may be a number of different things, but Holy Spirit, reveal that to us so that this community can look a little bit more like it did in the book of Acts. can look a little bit more like it, it, it was designed by your Spirit to look. Jesus, we surrender to you. We, we love you. We worship you this morning. We give you the honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen.